0: Downloads of this show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, February the 20th, 2018. Valentine's Day has come and gone, and that means there's only one thing left for New Yorkers to look forward to besides the day the clock goes ahead. Yep, the first day we hear the Mr. Softy jingle because we all know that's, never mind what the groundhog says, when you hear Mr. Softy jingle, you know that spring is coming. So, why don't you just sit back, relax, grab a treat, and head on over to my house for a spell. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was the Mary Jane Girls with In My House from their Only For You album back in 1985. And we have a lot of show for you today. We have a fantastic guest artist for you coming up. And I'd like to open up his segment with a song that he picked for this episode. it. That was Cake with short skirt, long jacket from Comfort Eagle back in 2001. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's guest artist of the week. Woohoo! I'm sitting here with one of my favorite people, oh. and yes, I know, every week I say that they're my favorite, but as we all know, it's true, because everybody is Michelle Carlos' favorite. Yay. And the man sitting across me right now has a smile that could light up this <laughs> winter night sky. Please welcome the Fish Out of Agua, Calvin Cato! Hello!
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Storyteller, stand-up writer, and whatever
1: Yeah. <laughs> very, very occasional actor. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I
0: forgot. Actor thespian. Yes.
1: Somewhat. Somewhat. Calvin, I'm so glad you were able to come and chat with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. And like, I've always been like a fan of your work. So it's like really awesome to get to chat with oh you. Oh my God. A yeah.
0: fan. I'm batting my eye. Batting the eyelashes on the air. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Calvin, I start off with asking everybody this. Yes. So, uh, how did we, how and where did we meet?
1: Um so I we met officially at um, Jackie Peters had a show and that I ran The natives are friendly. Yes. And at Hi Fi. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, oh, yeah, you remember Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which was it was a really fun show, and the whole concept of the show was that um, we wanted to have native New Yorkers, like people who were actually like born and raised in New York, because so many performers come from like elsewhere and out of town, and it's, it's rare that you get to hear like an authentic New York voice. And so that was when I had officially met you, but I don't think you remember this. I actually had met you, I think this was maybe a year before that or so, um, at a show through Eric Vetter because Eric Vetter has a show. No name. Oh and right, bag of chips.
0: that's right. He does it at uh, at Otto Shrunken Head and and yes,
1: yes, yes. And uh, I remember you uh, like it was a great high school story. The Irish Day or something. I- I'm trying to remember. Oh, Kill Whitey days. Day. Yeah, Kill Whitey Day. <laughs> and it was Jump so the Irish dead. Day. <laughs> and like it also was like so old school New York to me that I remember like I just briefly said hi. Oh. I don't know if you remember this. because this No,
0: a I d- back, I, d- I don't remember but... you until Jackie. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. No. And uh, that was like what like about. Four years ago or something? I think so. GIs? Yeah, about four years ago. Yeah. Uh You're a native New Yorker, correct? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. So I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, uh, where? I was born in Flatbush originally.
0: Oh, which part of Flatbush? Flatbush. Uh,
1: uh. I was born on Church Avenue, 38th Street. Which oh, okay. Is very Jamaican Like real Flatbush. Yeah, like exactly. Two
0: train Flatbush. Exactly.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Like I would say it's even. It was even on the border between like Flatbush and East Flatbush. So like I was really like there, there. Um, so I grew up like in a very West Indian community. My parents are West Indian. Okay, I so was gonna say. My dad is Jamaican. My mom is Haitian. Oh wow! So yeah, so it was like a very like cool, interesting. You mix.
0: must eat really well. Oh yes, but <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody that's from the Caribbean eats well.
1: I uh, love it! I love Caribbean food. I mean, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's so good. It's like so well spiced. There's a lot of curry, there's a lot of allspice. It's all good. Mm. clove.
0: scotch One bonnet. Yeah. But you can't put too much, or you or you die. Oh yeah,
1: of course. It'd be so yeah. Or it's much. like
0: it's like ass in the tub the next day. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, it tastes good going in, but it hurts going yeah, out. Yeah, it really
1: does. Oh my god! Don't need a cushion for that. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> okay, so you so grew yeah. up you grew up in Brooklyn. A oh, West Indian parent. Did you grow up in a performance oriented family? Was anybody musiciany, writery, performery? Like
1: my parents emigrated here, so I was technically I was first. Generation. Oh, so you're
0: first gen? Okay, yeah.
1: right on. So, like my mom has like a bit of a um creative ben like she really likes fashion stuff so she went to fit cool. yeah and she like took a lot of like fashion classes on her own like she really loves like making making um her own like dresses making like pants making um like women's suits stuff like that but she never did it to like sell just like more on her own
0: oh, so, so that's like i guess her a, a vocation more than like a job yeah like, exactly. yeah i don't want to say hobby because that sounds belittling yeah so she's like a seamstress a dressmaker. Yeah wow yeah wow. she's like
1: very very good at it yeah is she,
0: could, is she good enough to like audition for Project Runway
1: I would love her to <laughs> like that's tough and like she likes doing it for herself and like I think that if she had to do it like for other people or to like please a judge like I don't think it would mm. be as good
0: wow so did yeah. she make you you guys clothes growing up
1: yeah like she used to make like Halloween costumes for me and stuff oh like, wow yeah
0: wow yeah she's wow. like
1: very very good at that do, stuff do you have siblings um I'm an only child Oh, so yeah. you got all the attention.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, for
1: good and bad. Wow. So my dad was res- was a registered nurse. He actually worked at Beth Israel, the big one on 1st Avenue. Uh, oh, wow, se- cool. uh, 14th through 17th wow. Street. Wow. Yeah. So he, you know, he worked there. My mom worked at, she works at the Bank of America now, but she used to work at Maryland. She, like, works as an executive assistant, so. Okay,
0: so your parents are in the medical profession and corporate? Yes. Okay, so how did they feel having a creative son?
1: Uh, they were not into it uh, I, because when I was growing up, my parents were always like, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor. Again, very classic immigrant story. Right. And we want you to be professional. We want you to work in the medical field. And I was I was always very interested. You know, like I would sometimes go with my dad to his job and I would see, you know, some of the stuff that he did. And it was something that was always interesting to me. But I realized that like my dad worked in the emergency room. And I just, like, sometimes some of the stories he would tell me were things where I realized I don't think I could ever do the kind of stuff that he was doing on a regular basis. So um, when did you get the performance bug? Um, It was weird. It was something that, like, I never realized it until I got older. But as a kid, like, I was a huge reader. Like, my parents always encouraged reading, reading. And they, like, really loved for me to read. So, like, they would always buy me the classic series where they have, like, um, Great Great Expectations and Treasure Island. It was, like, some sort of, like, masterpiece classics or, like, it was, like, all these, like, you know, major books. of like. The yeah, I yesterday. think I, I
0: think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, like the, the, the ones that, quote, unquote, the classics. Yeah. Stuff written by dead white people right. from, the, from the last centuries, from the last <laughs> two centuries. But a lot of those books are really good. I mean, A Christmas Carol is one of the best books ever written. It's really well written. And it's so apropos to what's going on today yes. like when you th- when like the whole part where where Scrooge is like you know when they're trying to tell him about you know we well, you need to help the sick and the poor and the needy and the indigent he's like well let them die and decrease the surplus population <laughs> that's kind of like the way I feel like this administration feels about the same type of people today
1: yeah it's- the same groups it's so horrifying and demoralizing I was actually it's so funny I was just talking about this with a friend earlier today where um because uh the first anniversary or it's been a year since Donald Trump's like official inauguration Mm -hmm. and I guess I didn't even realize but I was talking to my friend and I was like it's so upsetting that it's been a year later and we're still doing this horrible situation and I mean obviously you know I get it it's not like you know, 1700s France where we can just, like, light pitchforks on fire and, like, get him out of office. Storm
0: but the Bastille. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I wish we could. Torches! God, I wish we could. Oh, my God,
0: like Young Frankenstein. Yes!
1: <laughs> I love that movie, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorites, too. Ah, oh, love it. But, yeah, it's, it, but it's still something that's so frustrating to me and I just think about, like, all... You know, just, like, all the, like, goodwill that Barack Obama, like, fostered, and especially, like, when I think about Michelle Obama and, like, how much she did, even from a position that technically didn't have any power, but, like, how much she did to, like, advance, like, children's rights and, like, healthy eating and education, and it's just, is so, it just still makes me so fundamentally upset that we went from, like, something where it's like we're really valuing high culture and we're valuing like having people like learn and expand and like expose themselves to other cultures to like this shit you know
0: ideal I don't know I don't know what to say about that and yeah. let's not let's not talk about that anymore let's get back to you oh yeah sorry and, and, yeah, yeah all right, right
1: so, so I classic um, so literature reading, yeah. so
0: what um, do you remember the names of any books that that you think really influenced you like maybe like the like uh, shaped your worldview or your comedic worldview or anything? Um,
1: it was more a matter of like um because I was reading these books and a lot of them were adventure books It just like gave me like a huge sense of like how to build words, worlds in my head ah. And so when I so I first like started like when I was younger just like writing just like random short stories here and there like really about, like
0: Writing into adventures. Cool. So, like,
1: going, like, I don't know, traveling around the world or, like, going to, you know, see a, see another island, stuff like that.
0: Was it's, it, like, sci-fi that you went into? Were you into, like, Treasure Island and, like, yeah, Mark like Twain, Treasure stuff island. like that? Yeah, like,
1: Mark Twain and, like, uh, Around the World in 80 Days, like, oh, okay. stuff like that. Um, like, those are the things that always influenced me. And then, like, from there, so from there, like, I just always, like, liked writing and stuff like that. But it was something I just wrote personally for myself. And then when I was in high school, um, I had discovered stand-up comedy. Um, I was—I think I was just watching, like, you know, comedy it was Comedy Central at the time, but there was also um, this, like, kind of, like, semi-public access show. Channel 25? It was New York Metro, but it was, like, a specific comedy segment. And on that comedy segment, they would show... It was pretty much, like, raw footage from a comedy seller and I think a couple of other comedy clubs around the city. But it was... Really, really good, and it got me very much into stand up. And like, very, and so from there, I kind of was always hungry for it. And I would always like check out like stand up specials that would be on like on pretty much any channel. Um, and it was and it was just really fascinating. I was super into it, but I never thought it was something that I was actually going to be into and do until I got to college where I started experimenting more with writing. Um, and my college like had a stand-up group called Punchline Oh. and so I was a part of that and so they only put on like four shows a year my college was in Connecticut Being, where did like, you go? I went to Wesleyan which oh, is a very liberal oh that's liberal... right that's fancy yeah <laughs> is, is that
0: like a seven Sisters school or an Ivy League school? Or... yeah it's like
1: one of the Little Ivys so it's like okay. that one Little like, Ivy? yeah that's what they always say. like, like Bernard? yeah like Barnard or Sarah Vassar, Lawrence yeah, or Bard? yeah like Amherst and like Williams or, all or of like those.
0: Antioch or something yeah yeah Okay.
1: all of those okay. like kind of like like, smaller, like, liberal arts colleges where, you know, all the white kids have dreadlocked. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I had a great time, and I really liked it, but it helped me to foster my creative side because I was around so many people who were creative and who were going out and, like, putting on their own shows or, like, doing their own a cappella stuff or putting on improv and doing things like that. So there
0: was a theater department yeah. at Wesleyan? Mm-hmm. And your parents were cool with that?
1: Uh, no, they were not. I actually oh. did not tell them. <laughs> really? <I didn't>.
0: Oh! <laughs> Let's hear more about this.
1: I, like, I had, like, kind of hinted that I was switching majors, but I didn't fully tell them until senior year.
0: <laughs> it's, did, did they know you were gay at this point? No,
1: they did not. Wow. Yeah. So
0: you were, like, keeping, like, mega secrets. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was only keeping secrets. I was definitely not showing report cards and things like that. Um, so, yeah. So once um, all the shit hit the fan, they were definitely not happy. Um, but, you know, I told them, well, you know, like, this is what I want to do. I really want to do comedy and I want to do comedy. I want to do writing. Like, that was my main thing is I wanted to do short story writing and work as a book editor. And I wanted to do all of that stuff. And my parents, like, again, coming from the background they came from, they were like, that's a waste. I don't understand. Like, why would you want to be creative or, like, be creative on your own time? And- right.
0: They want you to make money. That's yeah. the thing. They, because in their minds, I think that that generation thought that artists were dirty, susia, yes. that they were on drugs. Mm-hmm. They were sluts. Their houses were dirty. Their kitchens and their bathrooms were skank. Yes, and they smelled bad. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Like who was? Yeah, cause they were exactly. hooas. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pretty much. Whatever like,
0: gender they were, they were a hooah. Yeah,
1: just always just just whores. A chunky like, hooah. Yeah, just like meals out of their arms, just whores like yeah. well, like yeah. you know yeah. like a
0: combination of Iggy Pop, um, Sid Vicious, yeah, Johnny and 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 Gigi Hallen. Yeah, <laughs> and. For the youngs, if you don't know who these people are, <laughs> GTS, Google it. Google yes. that shit. We're or not hell, explaining. Wikipedia.
1: You can yeah, do that yeah. now.
0: So, how did you get them to either like uh, come around to your way of thinking, or did you did you did you did you, did you have an estrangement with them? Or did you have like a watchful piece? How did you? Um, how were you able to do it?
1: There were definitely a couple of years where it was def- it was really tough. Like I ended up. Um, I mean, after college, I moved back home, but I only stayed at home for a year before I ended up moving out. And so I ended up actually going on a game show, and I won, like, enough money. Yeah, it was
0: you won crazy. You won money on a game yeah. show? And tell us all about it. Tell us all about what you won,
1: Calvin. Whoa, whoa, show! I think this was 2008. Oh my God. Is Ten two, years ago. Ten years ago. Jeez. Wow. God, the time flies. Um, what what show was it? Uh, it was a show called Chain Reaction. Okay, Chain Reaction. Uh, it was okay. on. So uh, it wasn't uh, The, the Game Price show is Network. Right. Yeah, no, God, no. I wish if it was. It was The Price is Right. I would make way more money. <laughs> it was on the Game Show Network, so like super cable. Like I think it was like three digit cable. <laughs>
0: okay. Oh wow. Okay, yeah. gotcha.
1: Um, but it, it was. Basically, like, a word, a word play show. So, like, they gave you the first word, like, chain, and then the first letter of the second word. So, chain R, and you had to guess what the next word mm. was. Um, so, I did that with two other friends of mine who were both, one of them was a comedian who since, like, left. Um, and the other person was, like, doing, like, filmmaker stuff. And so, the three of us, we were all, like, we are just all really broke. We are all really suffering. So, we got on this game show... And we ended up winning a bunch of money, which was really great. I ended up make I ended up winning like I think it was like twenty eight hundred dollars in one shot. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's enough. That, that's, yeah. that's enough to, to move out.
1: Yeah, it ten was ten years
0: ago. I mean just barely. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Ten, yeah, It was ten years ago and you know yeah,
0: you weren't you weren't moving to like like like, like like the McCarran Gardens or yeah. McCarran Park Gardens It's such a thing that exists. I don't
1: know. Which ugh, it's whatever. That's such a tangent. But it makes yeah. me so upset to see how Williamsburg is now because I, know. I remember because, like, uh, like, 10 years ago, and I know it sounds weird because it's, like, only 10 years ago, but back then, like, if you could feasibly move to New York with $2,000 and, like, be fine because you could easily find a share. Like, I was living in places where, like, I wasn't paying more than, like, $500, uh, whereas, like, now, like, these same places would be, like, yeah, you have to pay $900 and have three other roommates. Like, I don't know how artists, like, start here and make it today. I
0: don't know either. I mean, a lot of... um. People who are prominent in the arts, like uh, such as uh, Patty Smith, have gone on record saying that New York is over. Find another, basically find another city. And I'm like, no, no, yes. you got to live here and do it. Yes. Why can't everybody else? Why does New York have to be over? Why do we have to abandon? Why can't Why can't we just fight for a city? Why can't we de- develop a, a coalition called? Tbny, take back New York. Yeah, you I, know, for us. Yeah, for the natives. Yeah, yeah. We we should be getting like mad discounts. Like you know how like they had the New York City ID yeah. card for people that that are um that that don't that can't get. Traditional ID because of their uh, residential status. Yes. Well, because of our residential status, I propose that we also get a special ID card and we get special privileges. I agree. I and like love charge that. the transplant. Do you want to do con- you want to do congestion pricing? Charge the transplants extra.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And by the way, the congestion pricing thing is such. Can we bullshit. do it by state? I
0: would love to. <laughs> All right, we're not going to get you're into that.
1: from Arkansas, please pay even more. Because no, like, I know nice people from Arkansas. I, I know they are nice people, and I know yeah, that, that yeah, those yeah, nice yeah. people, that's yeah. why they come here, because they yeah. hate Arkansas as well. Right. But it just sucks, because it's so much harder than it, it was back then. I mean, again, I seriously Everything think about hard. it. I mean... I mean, I remember there were still like when there were still bars where you could like conceivably be like, okay, I can still get a drink for like two or three dollars, and like you could like no what place bar was that.
0: The... Well, you must have been drinking the PBRs. Uh. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. I so what did you do with your with your um, well-gotten gain? Where <laughs> well, did where did you settle, and
1: what did you do with it? So I first moved to Harlem. Um, well, it was Harlem, but like that was like as it was turning into Morningside Heights. Like I guess I probably just missed that train because I was so used to it being like, no, this is Harlem, because like where I lived was like one twenty second. So I was like. Oh, this is, for me, I was like, this is Harlem. I see black people here the Harlem. But then, you know, a lot of like, you know, white migration started moving yeah. upwards. So, yeah, There's I always thought, I thought Harlem
0: was like above 125 and up, up until, yeah. like, up until like, Columbia was the Upper West Side, and then from Columbia to 125, which is Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do I know? Okay, so you moved You moved to Harlem, and uh, you said that you had been performing in college. You had been doing sketch comedy and stand-up? Uh, I was
1: doing uh, just stand-up, okay, I just didn't stand-up. do sta- sketches, okay. like, every, there, because in, there was a whole bunch of other sketch and improv, but like we were the only like, stand-up group, so which was like a lot of fun, and like that's how I really learned to like really appreciate and like stand-up. And, you know, I came to New York City and, like, you know, because everyone, like, the two people who started the group, uh, Adam and Todd Stone, the Stone Twins, very, very funny, um, uh, comedic duo. And they told me, they were like, yeah, you know, like, New York City is where they started. and They told me all these places you could perform at. Like, they were talking about the Duplex, which is... Uh, big staple, wonderful, wonderful place. It's like a great like, old school. Old it better school.
0: never close.
1: I hope not. Oh God! Oh, uh, it'd be so devastating.
0: Yeah.
1: So they told me the duplex, and then um, other places. Oh, Mo Pickens. Uh, I remember that was. A oh thing my at the God! Time. I
0: remember I used to perform Mo Pickens too. Yeah. Uh, I love That's that, old place. School. that place. That place closed in two thousand
1: seven. Oh my God! Yeah, I, it I was think that long ago? I think of two
0: thousand. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was two thousand seven. Uh. They um, Mo Pickens became uh, an outpost. For the performance community that I was in, known as the art Star community, from the Lower from the East Side, from the 90s to the early 2000s, when we got gentrified out of the Lower East Side. Yeah. And um, Mo Pitkins became a home. I remember Faceboy was doing his open oh, mic Faceboy, there. Oh, Oh, my
1: God. You know Faceboy's open mic? Yeah, I remember. I, cause I, well, caught I used the to go t-
0: all the time. I, used,
1: I caught the tail end of it, because I remember it used to be Sundays uh, from, like, yes. 8 to, like... Whenever. Four in the morning, yeah. yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I used, yeah. Like I literally was like, ever. I used to go there all the time. We probably
0: like, were in the same room together. Wow. Did, then
1: we may have like, <laughs> like probably passed yeah. each other back did, then. Did you
0: ever see a character called Carmen Mafongo with the with that more crazy hat? Oh my god! And talk with a Spanish accent and did. Uh, it's so did like, I
1: remember because I remember uh, like, was like years later, like us talking about. It. I probably did see it then. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah,
0: I was I was there yeah. like all the time. Yeah. Like there was another woman named uh, Reverend Jen Miller. She. Used oh, to of course, do, yeah. I remember yeah. Jen. Yeah. yeah. Oh my. God, you know Rev Jen too. Yeah, I remember
1: oh Rev Jen. Uh, there's Mangina. Mangina! <laughs>
0: oh my God.
1: Yeah, and um I remember I was friends with uh, Will Lee. Yes. Master yes, Will. Yes. Yes. Or Master, Master Lee Master Lee. Lee. Um, there's Rick Patrick.
0: Yes. Mister um, Patrick. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it's so
1: funny. Yeah, I know, it, which is why it's so always so interesting. Cause people like since I look really young, people are like, "What? You knew you?" And I was like, "Yeah, I was. I was always around back then. I was." always so hungry and I just love being around performers and I love that energy and it just also just kept fueling me like okay I really want to keep doing stand-up and I really want to keep performing and I just love being around all these like talented and like just super like dedicated folks like it was so wonderful I love that community
0: it and you know it, yeah. it still exists
1: yeah it still exists it still
0: we're just I- like whoosh,
1: but, I have you know, it's
0: we so come, we much more to, scattered we, now. Yeah, it's very scattered because there's no there's no performance home. the the last home that 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 community had that was like a central place was the Bowery Poetry Club.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, God. Yeah. That was so the, devastating. was the, I went to the night. last night of that too? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Okay. I was there.
0: That was, was back in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. 2012.
1: I'm really surprised that we like did not cross paths like before. I know. Yeah. I,
0: yeah, I was regular there. I was. I was. Yes. I, I I met my current partner there. Wow. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. I had no idea about that. Yeah. Oh, now that we know that we. Yeah. Have We've yeah. this shared, this shared <laughs> counterculture history here. Yeah. Well, so I, I want to tell you that um, the show that you're being interviewed on right now, mm-hmm. my, my show is part of Radio Free Brooklyn, which is basically an offshoot of that whole art star performance oh, scene. Oh, nice. Because Tom Tenney and Rob Pritchard, mm-hmm. the founders and proprietors of Radio Free Brooklyn, were a great part of all the performance going on. Okay, <laughs> so talk about your stand-up trajectory um, yeah. because you're pretty. You're getting pretty known now. You're almost to me you're like you're almost at the point where you go to. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah, thank you yeah, much. yeah.
0: Like I see you all yeah. over the place now. So what what was your road to get to to getting to where you are now with with that?
1: Um, so like I said, a lot of it um, when I started out, I was literally just doing like as many shows as possible, just getting up a lot. And like for me, I never, like I said, I never discounted any space. Like there's some people who were like very like. Stand up purist, but I was always like again. That's why I was like, I like going to Art Star mics and I like going to Art Star shows. Like I would go to those and I would go to like mixed like music, music comedy mics, and I would do all that kind of stuff. And um, when I really like started taking it more seriously, was I would go to like a lot of just straight stand up mics, and I would find that a lot of it was just like a lot of like white guy heavy like straight white guy comedy, and it was like always like very like racist and like homophobic. And I still remember, like, there was this one time where, like, some guy was telling a joke, and the joke literally was like, do you know what I hate about the gym? Niggers. That was, like, the joke. And I was like, excuse me? And so I basically was like, I walked out, and I was like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe that this is a thing that, like, we're allowing, like, to be able to say, and no one said anything or checked him or any, like, obviously no one laughed, but it was still a matter of, like, why are you letting this go on? And what year was this? This was, like, 2006. And I was like, this is insane, and I cannot fucking believe this. And so I started, September 2006, I ended up starting my own mic, where I was like, listen, the only rule is, like, you can't be racist, you can't be sexist, you can't be homophobic, and if you are, I'll just take you off the stage. I think it was called Your Parents' Basement, and uh, I started at this place called East Village Lounge um, Mm. on East uh, 3rd Street and Avenue B, between Avenue A and B, and it ended up being, like, a lot of fun. The mic ended up bouncing around to several places, and I ran it for about, like, five, six years. Um... But yeah, that was, like, how I got my start. And it was really wonderful because I, like I said, because I was so passionate about, like, comedy and listening to other people, like, I managed to draw, like, a very great, like, diverse group of, like, both comedians. It's always so weird, like, you know, you do things you don't really think about them. But, like, I've had, like, a lot of, like, you know, quite a few, like, queer performers or a lot of, like, performers of color who are, like, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but, like, the first time I ever performed was at your space. And I really appreciated the fact that you were so, like, open to, like, both giving people a color voice and open to being like, no, like, we're not putting up with racist bullshit here because it hinders the other performers from feeling like, comfortable to say what they want to say. And to be honest, like, I found, like, a lot of the performers of color and a lot of queer performers were infinitely more interesting anyway because I was like, you don't get to hear these backgrounds because all you hear is like the same, like, oh, dick joke, oh, ironic racism, that like it's tiring. Yeah. So. Oh,
0: uh, I harassed a woman.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> this is the face I make when I eat pussy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh,
0: God. If, if I had a friggin' dollar for every time I've heard that joke, I would fix the power grid in Puerto Rico. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which also, huge shame. But yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah no, no, no yeah. more tangents. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that's how, like, so that's how I got started and, like, for, and it also just helped me because I wasn't, I, when I was first performing, I wasn't really out on stage at all. I was just, like, telling just more, just generic jokes. You know what I mean? Like, jokes about, like, you know, being black and, like, growing up, like, uh, growing up black and growing up also, you know, being black, but, like, going to predominantly white schools and being around, like, a predominantly white culture. Um, And the more and more it, like, helped me to, like, come out on stage and talk about more, like, queer stuff and queer identity stuff. Um, How old were you when you came out? Um, like, probably like twenty one, twenty two. Oh, okay, so yeah. relatively young. Yeah, so relatively young, but it was still like a gradual process, and like I wasn't really out like um to comedians until I was like maybe like twenty five, twenty six. And it and I think that it was also a matter of like, I mean, even though like people it was like, yeah, it's the two thousands and blah, blah blah, like like at the time, stand up was still very much like. A white male dominated thing. Right. Even and, though there
0: were so many wonderful female standups, yeah. they just weren't getting noticed. Exactly,
1: and there, and I would just see that happen over and over again. Where it's like. So many times you would hear things where it's like, oh, we already have a woman. And yeah, it's we like, already um, have a woman. Yeah. And it's like, but you st- still already have like five white guys. So I don't understand why this is a problem. Or you'd hear like, we already have a black person. It's like, you know that you can have two. Like, it's not like Highlander. Yeah. Like, it's not like there can be yeah. only one. Oh and we're going to have to have a, like a fucking sword fight. Like, it's okay to have diversity on a show. That's not like a, some radical thing that we're throwing at you. It's not like we're saying like, we want a dog to get on stage. Do you know what I mean? And like, that's
0: only 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Woof. Exactly, and I mean, and it still happens where you can still, like, I, you know, like major cities, like, you know, New York is, like, more integrated, LA is more integrated, um, Minneapolis is a place, another place I used to perform in a lot, and, like, that place is also really good diversity-wise. Um, but those
0: places are bubbles. Yeah,
1: exactly, but they're bubbles, yeah. and you can still, like, go Chicago's to, Chicago's like, a bubble. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Miami's exactly. a bubble, mm-hmm. San Francisco's a bubble. Yeah, San
1: Francisco's definitely a bubble. <laughs>
0: DC's a bubble. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's, like, you can literally go, Boston's like, 20 a miles bubble. out.
0: Well, like, uh, Boston's kind of a, half a bubble.
1: Yeah, it's half a bubble. It's like, half It's a bubble. still, like, yeah, there's still parts where it's, like, crazy segregated. Yeah, yeah. Although it's getting better with yes, you're happy
0: Yes, about. yes, yes. And, there, and there's a huge, wonderful performance and storytelling scene in, in Boston right oh, now, really? too. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's, ru- it's run by an organization called Mass Mouth. And oh. they, they do the stories from the stage storytelling shows mm-hmm. that, that are on PBS. So in so let's say since then so for, the, for the past 12 years how has your writing and stand up um, evolved then to, to like where you are today
1: um i just i feel like a lot of my my comedy ended up getting like more more personal um, which was nice like i felt like i always i guess i always used to feel like your on stage persona and your off stage persona had to be two radically different animals and i think that since then it's evolved to the point where i can kind of feel like i can be one unified person so know? in other words you're
0: Instead of being having a persona, you just are your person. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's like I am my person, and I still, and I, I kind of, I feel like I own my jokes better. Um, and because I own my jokes better, and because I have a much better and more honest relationship with my jokes, it's made everything, I guess, more elevated and more powerful.
0: I get it. So, how did you discover storytelling? Then, because that kind of like seems like you, what you're describing seems like a natural segue into like you telling stories as opposed to stand-up. How did how did that happen? What was your segue point there?
1: Um I the storytelling was always something I was interested in and I loved like going to storytelling shows.
0: What was the first storytelling show that you knew about or went to? Uh
1: I went to um Leslie Goshko. Um you I believe you know Leslie so I, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah Sideshow so, I've been on it a lot. Yeah, I love Leslie and yeah, I like love her, her too. we actually met like I think we both like Yeah, we met like I think in like probably the first year, first two years because we both started around the same time. But she was like doing She was doing a little bit of stand up, but doing more storytelling. And so I remember going to her show side, side show, Gosh mm-hmm. way back at when. At KGB that? Bar. No, this is before that. It Where was, was at it? Comics Comedy Club. Oh, was, was, was it at
0: Comics or was it downstairs at Ochi? Yeah, it
1: was downstairs in Ochi's Lounge. Ochi's yeah, Lounge. Because yeah, that's Run, like, run I by Cambry Cruz. Yeah, I'll, I love Cambry. I She's love Cambry. So sweet. Uh, and, like, QED, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I just stopped plugging away. But No, QED, no,
0: we can plug QED. Yeah.
1: QED is such a wonderful space. It I is. feel like everyone okay. needs to go. So um,
0: Sideshow gosh on. Yeah, so but- then,
1: so, I, so I, would go, I would go occasionally, and then I went uh, when it was at KGB Bar. And, like, I was something I was always thinking about it. And uh, I remember talking to her, like, we just had a brief conversation, where she was like, well, why don't you just get up there and, you know, just try it and see, you know, how you feel. And I did already have a couple of stories, because, like I said, I used to write short stories anyway. But for me, it was a matter of, like, okay, you know, I can just, like, take stuff from my own life and just, like, write it out and, like, you know, put a structure to it. Um, so that was how I started. Like, I did, I think that was the first official storytelling show I did was, like, Sideshow gosh Go. So I did that, and then from there I was, like, I just always really liked it, and I liked, like, the pacing of it is so different because, again, you're not chasing after laughs, and I feel like you're chasing from, your there's more of a gravitas to it which I really liked, and that's something that drew me to storytelling. So that's how I ended up starting to do it more and more. And I, over the past, like I would say, like, three or four years, I've been doing, like, more storytelling shows these days. And it's just, it's just such a, like, freeing and relaxing experience. And, like, it's helped me to work out a lot of stuff. Like, uh, recently, my dad, well, two years ago, my dad had passed away from cancer. And um, I had ended up, like, just taking a break from all sorts of performing for a while. And uh, it took me, like, a year before I could, like, fully, you know, process and, like, deal with everything. And I finally was, like, you know, I just want to tell the story about, like, the last um, the last few months I was able to spend with my dad. And I started talking about it on stage. And I didn't realize that, like, to give it a shape and, like, tell it on stage was a way of, like, releasing, like, all of the, like, feelings I felt about it. And all of the, like, kind of, like, resentments and things that I wish I could have said, things I wish I could have done, Feeling like a bit guilty. There's like a catharsis to Yeah, it. exactly.
0: You know, st- some people make the mistake of thinking storytelling is therapy. And yeah. that's not entertaining. Yes. Because you need to have, and also if something just happens to you, sometimes you, you need to have processed it before it becomes a, a good fodder for a story. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because you need to know what was on the other side. Mm-hmm. so to speak. So a little pescao, a fish, because yes. I, I don't say a little birdie, because it's the Fish Out of Agua show. A little mm-hmm. pescao told me that you have a story for us. Oh, yes. Okay, let's have it. Okay. Calvin
1: Cato. Ooh, thank you very much. <laughs> so um, this story uh, actually begins uh, in college. Um, it was, my, it was uh, between my junior and senior year. This is actually right around when I finally was Started to tell my parents, "Oh, by the way, I'm not going to be a doctor. Surprise! And I'm also going to go to Portland, Oregon. Surprise!" Uh, which they were very, very not happy about for various reasons. Um, and so it was my friend and I, and our plan was we were going to drive from Connecticut, and we we're going to drive her car all the way out to Portland, Oregon. And my friend, she was she's half Asian, and she was going to go and interview people in like different like uh, in Asian communities and like smaller uh, cities. So, like, not cities like New York and L.A., but um, just smaller places like Minneapolis, stuff like that. And so I was like, you know, this is going to be fun. Like, I've never seen America. It's going to be really great. You know, they talk about how beautiful it is. And we weren't really thinking about the racism at the time. But we were like, it'll be fine, you know, because it's 2005 and it's going to be great. And so uh, we, we load up the car and we buy like a brick of weed, which I would never suggest <laughs> kids do not do this at home at all. Um, <laughs> never drive cross country with drugs, uh, especially not if you're black. <laughs> that is like, a bad idea. <laughs> um, so, so we load up the car. Um, we love the car. And again, because this is 2005, we had... 40 CDs that were, like, mix CDs that we made. We are like, we're going to have a mix and we're going to get in this car, we're going to drive, it's going to be so much fun. And so uh, we get in the car, we start driving, and, like, you know, things are great. We're, like, driving through. I'm like, this America's so beautiful and, like, amber waves of grain and this is so amazing and great. And then we pull through Pennsylvania, and the thing that no one ever warns you about Pennsylvania is that Pennsylvania gets very, very rural, very, very fast. Um, and so at one point we were, like, running low on gas. And so we're like, okay, we're running a little bit low on gas and we're kind of hungry. So let's just pull into some town and we'll stop. And like, you know, we had this idea that it was going to be like, you know, it was like cutesy, like, uh, like those cutesy, like adventure movies that you would see in like the 80s or 90s where it's like, oh, we're just two city people and we pull into this town and everyone's so nice and friendly to us. And that is not what happened. So we go, we stop in this town called Buckhorn, Pennsylvania. I will never forget. And we stop and there's a bunch of pickup trucks. We're like, okay, you know, we got it. These are, this Maybe these are farmers. Maybe it's fine. It'll be whatever. And we walk into this, like, rusty, like, kind of, like, diner that's, like, shaped like a trailer. And so we go in, and I, like, we walk in, and literally, like, everyone just freezes and just stares at us. And we were like, uh, what's going on? And, like, everyone just is, like, staring at us. It takes a waiter, like, ten minutes to finally give us a seat. We go. We sit down. And people are literally just, like, staring at us as we're looking into our menus, And at first, like, we were both, like, really high, so we thought they thought we were celebrities (laughs) for, like, a couple of minutes. And we were, like, and I was talking to my friend, and I was like, should we wave? Like, is that what we should do? Should we be like, hey, maybe they think we're famous? And then finally it wore off, and we were like, no, they don't think we're famous. (laughs) They think we shouldn't be here. But again, we—I was like, no, like I have a right to be here, and like, how dare you? You're not going to tell me how I'm going to eat and live my life. So we order food, but we order like something small that we know will come quickly. And then the waitress comes, takes our order, she goes to the back, and then she like brings us our food like fairly quickly. And I'm hoping there's not spit in it, but I was like, whatever, I'm really hungry. So we go, we sit there, and we eat. And there's this ten-year-old girl who, like, she gets up to go to the bathroom, but she literally takes the long way and walks past our table and, like, stares at us, like, for a creepily long time while we're eating. And finally, we were like, you know, we'll just take this to go. Check, please. Let's just call it a day. And then as soon as we asked for the check, the waiter is, like, right there, like, bam, check. And I was like, oh, wow. So we're really not welcome here at all. Great. So we drop our money, and everyone, like, literally is still staring at us. Walk up. Stereos go all the way out the door. And it's only when they, we heard the door shut that they, we heard them, like, talk again. It was, like, the most mystifyingly weird experience of my life. And it was so shocking because we got back to the car and we still couldn't really process the fact that that is a thing that that happened. But, I mean, that's just the matter of the situation. Um, and we went to, and we went to other cities. and other cities, it was a lot better. People were a lot friendlier and like if nothing else people were just like oh y'all aren't from around here but we never got that feeling of like loathing and just it it wasn't even like a hatred it was just a general feeling of like what are you doing here how dare you break our color barrier like that sort of thing crazy experience but i learned a lot so (laughs) and i made it out alive so that's you know wonderful
0: oh my god make sometimes making it out alive is just the most you can do. Yeah. <laughs> but what did you learn from it?
1: Um, well, it was interesting. Like, I did learn, um, like that. I mean, that was, again, like, one of the worst experiences. There was another bad experience that also happened on the road. Um, and this is just a really quick addendum. We went, after that, well, the first thing we learned was we, we were like, we're only going to go to chain restaurants to eat. <laughs> we're not going to any, like, local places anymore. Uh, we we're like we'll go to chain restaurants only. We won't go off the beaten path. We'll just try to stick to like the highways and if we want to we can go sightseeing but we we're like we're not going to eat in small towns like that ever Oh
0: again. my god and that's just that that's just so messed up because like the best little diners or, or little like lunch counters are like the places that the locals go to.
1: Exactly. That's
0: horrible. Well, oh god can yeah. can, can we be the generation that ends this crap?
1: I hope so.
0: I always like said that I want to be this to be the generation that ends passing yeah because I hate that word mm-hmm. and everything that it connotates and it means yes. passing for color passing for gender passing for whatever I yes. just I, that whole the whole idea behind that word is just so Repugnant.
1: Yes. <laughs> you'll be whoever the fuck they are. Yeah. You know, and yeah. give you yes. a and just yeah. say hi. Just have That's a
0: bathroom. All. Yeah. Have, exactly. Have more than one bathroom because you don't have a big line outside. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and make you know, make sure it's well stocked with the amenities. But yes. like, it's have, okay. So where um, can if people want to find you and your fabulousness? Um, I'm sure that that people are so intrigued now by all of this. <laughs> they want to follow you and they want to like you and they want to come see you perform. So how can people find out where you're going to be um, coming up?
1: So um, you can always check my website, calvincato.com. And I'm on Twitter at calvin. I'm also on Instagram at Cato I'm rarely on Instagram, but that's a thing. And do
0: you have a Facebook page for comedy? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, no, it's just my Facebook, CalvinCato. Okay. But yeah, if you just do facebook.com, uh, slash Calvin Cato, you'll find me. Okay, so um, like him on Facebook, yeah. follow him on Twitter, Instagram, because you can. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I also do a show um, every Monday at Freddy's Bar in Brooklyn.
0: Freddy's, I yeah. love Freddy's. Oh yeah,
1: wonderful space. Um, and it's a show called It's Sullivan on Acid. It's uh, one of the longest running free stand-up comedy shows in Brooklyn. Um, and basically for every person who comes, we donate a dollar to a different charity. So we've done charities such as um, the ACLU, we've done Buy From a Black Woman, and what they do is they help, like, black women start their own small businesses. Um, We do Lambda Legal, they help them, they, they're a law firm, or a law organization that helps, like, LGBT citizens get, um, maintain their rights, Um, and we've done, like, just Red Cross, stuff like that. And it's Mondays at Freddy's Bar on... Every week or every month? Uh, Every week. Every week? Every Monday. Okay,
0: weekly. Yes. Mondays, what time? Uh, 9 p.m. Okay. Weekly's Monday, Ed Sullivan on Asset, 9 p.m. You can see Calvin Cato. Wow, I think I want to check this out. Yeah. Yo, I, can, I, I, I know where Freddy's is. Yeah. I know definitely. where Freddy's <laughs> is. So, um, so in, in closing, I ask everybody this question, and I'm I totally Like so excited to hear what you're going to say about this. So, Calvin, mm-hmm. what would you tell mm-hmm. the child sitting alone in their room, under a tree, at their desk at school, staring out a window, lost in thought because they know that they have something in them that is greater than what most people expect or that may be kind of counter to the wishes of some of their family. I'm talking about creativity. I'm talking about expression of gender. I'm talking about the that I want to be me. Yeah what would you tell that child?
1: I would tell that child that I know that it's scary and I know that it's hard when you feel like you have something like that seems like different, but understand that different doesn't mean bad and it doesn't mean abnormal. So, sometimes, And a lot of times different just means special. It means that you're a very special person and that you have the right to own yourself and to be able to explore what you wanna explore because the only person who can make you happy ultimately is you and you there's no need and I feel like this is stuff that I tell myself now constantly but there's no need to ever put yourself down there's never any need to feel ashamed because you have a thought that doesn't necessarily line up with what other people think like you have thoughts and your thoughts matter and it's important for you to like pursue your thoughts and understand how you feel and understand your body and understand yourself so embrace the difference. Yes. <laughs> oh, my
0: God. Calvin, thank you so much for being Seriously, on Fish thank at Thank you so much. Hug on the
1: air. Yay. Oh, hug on the air. Oh, my gosh. Air. Seriously, Woo-hoo. thank you so much.
0: You are most welcome. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Queen with Another One Bites the Dust from the album called The Game back in 1980, another one of Calvin Cato's picks. (laughs) Wow, that was some interview, man. I love Calvin. If I could have him back on the show, I would. I don't know if I've ever said that before. I just really, really, really enjoy talking to him, just like I enjoy talking to everybody. You know what? I don't play favorites. You know why? Because everyone's my favorite. (laughs) Well, kids, guess what? That's our show. Once again, you have been listening to Michelle Carlo with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Go visit the RadioFreeBrooklyn.org page. Donate. Sponsor a show. We have tons of shows. Come to an event. We have tons of events. We have an event coming up Thursday, March 1st at The Well, 272 Meserel Street in Bushwick. It's a video launch party for a glam rock new wave band Dietra, also featuring Durston Ray and the Lord Calverts. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and look for the events. So we're going to close with um, the last song that Calvin picked. It's by Rez. It's called Golden Boys. It's from her How Do I Do album, back in 2001 so sit back and chill out with Rez and Golden Voice, and stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next and we'll see you next week kids. Woohoo!